1: Happy Thanksgiving and welcome to another episode of the Brooklyn Buzz podcast presented by otgbasketball.com. I'm your host Nick Fay. With me as always, Jack Manuel. What's up Jack?
2: Not the happiest of Thanksgiving's Nick, but um, you know, at least the Nets put up a fight. It just went right down to the wire and you know, the refs didn't help us, but moral victory, I guess, somewhat.
1: Yeah, the Nets had a little bit of a Thanksgiving hangover, you know, Black Friday loss to the Blazers. Jack and I just watched it, you know, noon start today. Like you said, it was it's disappointing loss. Obviously, three-game losing streak now. But a game that the Nets had, you know, in control majority of the time, they were in the lead by a little. It felt like, you know, you knew it was going to come down to crunch time. Like Jack said, a few calls didn't go our way. We couldn't get any buckets late, and a couple
2: turnovers really hurt us. Yeah, the turnovers, I, I think, in general, we've been taking the care of the, of the ball really well lately, Nick. I think that was one thing we mentioned in our earlier pods that we've got to tighten up on, and I think we have. Um, I think... Having Spencer Dimony run the ship um, tonight, I think he had uh, one or zero turnovers. Let me just take a look at the box score. Um, yeah, he had zero turnovers, which is again uh, amazing. Like insane. And six six assists um, as usual, leading the way there. Um, and he had a couple of a couple of looks down the stretch that looked like they were there, but it just you know, there was like an inch off um, that last sort of three point shot, um, which is sort of come his his patented move. And in that move on Yusuf Nurkic, where he just took him in, like he just had the had the move. And same with um, Karras on Noah vonlade But both of those guys off the dribble were um, outstanding tonight. But yeah, you mentioned the refs. Um, just looking at the the matchup and in, in terms of where how we lost it, um, they got to the line thirty five times. We got to the line twenty one times. Now I'm not saying that a lot of those weren't warranted because yeah, a lot of those were, but. An extra 14 times in, in the flow of that game, it just didn't feel right.
1: Yeah, there was a couple of plays that definitely hurt them. I know that um, you know, that three-pointer, the three free throws that Dame got, I think late in the third quarter where it looked like Levert got his jersey held. I wasn't a fan of that call. But, you know, the Nets did still lose the game. They had an opportunity. I think it was 123, 123, 28 seconds left. Karis Levert has the ball and he gets it smacked out of his hand by Napier,
2: and Nurkic is right there, grabs it, gets the rebound, two points and the foul. That I mean, was it. It was it, He had four turnovers himself, and in total, we had nine turnovers. So, Karis, that's one area. I, I mean, he's he's still a baby, and, and yeah. I mean, he's still learning in, in that sense. But we don't want to take away his natural aggression and that sort of thing. But there are times where it's, you just want to be like to him. I think it was a couple of pods ago where it's like he's a baby deer. Just it's just like slow down bro. slow down. We know you've got the, the speed, we know you've got the handle, but we just there's times where you'd prefer to have the ball in, in Spencer's hand where he just knows um, he has that composure about him. And I, and I think that's sort of having an effect on Karis to an effect uh, to an extent because with D'Angelo and Caris they they both have not really similar games, but they like to to push the tempo a little bit. whereas Spencer does like like to get in the sets quickly but he does in a way where it's a lot more controlled. So I think if Karras can continue to learn um, that sort of control and maintain his composure, because his shot's certainly looking pretty good now. Um, We mentioned that just before recording. So I think um, all positives from... And he's doing a lot of other things as well. He's looking really nice on the rebounds, um, on the boards. It's just if he can tighten up a little bit um, on the turnovers, I think he's going to become a bit more of a complete player.
1: Yeah, like you said, I think there was one play in the fourth quarter where the Nets were up by three or five, and Karras was on the fast break, and C.J. McCollum kind of baited him, got the steal, and that was a pretty big point in the game. But like you said, Karras is very young. He dealt with a lot of injuries in college. He didn't even get to play a full rookie season. So his development is a little bit behind right now. So, you know, the more he gets to play, the better he's going to get. By the end of the season, we're going to see a different player. And like you said, he's contributing, not only, you know, running the show a little bit when Spencer takes a break, but scoring, jump shots looking better. Defensively, he's really stepped up, I think. And like you said, a few more rebounds a game is definitely helping out, especially when we play small.
2: Yeah, definitely. And those small lineups are really benefiting us. Um, you know, Mozgov not getting any minutes today. I've to AC. <laughs> Love it. Um, it it's, it's working, Nick. It's working. And, and our boy, Jared Allen, which we, who we haven't mentioned yet, had um, his highest minutes per game. He had his highest shots per game. Um, his highest rebounds per game. Had a couple of steals in there as well. Um, He looked really active, and it was nice to sort of see him there down the stretch because I think that's going to benefit him because he is our best center. Like, there's no disputing that. Tyler Zeller may start. Um, Mozgov has started in probably 8 to 10 games as well this season. Um, But right now, he's our best center. He's our best screener. I really like how he creates space for our guards um, and how he rolls. Um, His hands are still a little bit shaky at times. When he clunks it, um, or like he has sticky hands, he looks really good. His offensive rebounding tonight was was awesome. Um, you know, he's just he's got great, great hustle, great energy. Um, he's just a bit like a bit, uh, sort of like Harris Albert. He's just a little rough around the edges, um, but with the reps and with the time, um, I'm glad that he could see over twenty minutes tonight. Hopefully, um, in the near future, that he can continue those uh, 20, 20 to twenty two minutes. I think will be a nice sort of t- uh, minutes for. Like just for Jarrett.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, like you said, you know, it's nice to see him. He's our best center. And what he brings is different elements. He can move his feet better than pretty much any other big on the team. Down definitely has a great shot blocking ability. You know, and like you said, when he rolls to the rim, the opponents actually have to respect him because he can finish up top. I think one thing I saw today, as well as he played, he did have some, you know, errors. But I think as the chemistry improves, we're going to see a lot more alley-oops. Because there was a lot more times where, if they threw the ball above the rim to him, it would have been an easier finish than him catching it and trying to go up underneath.
2: Yeah, and I think Spencer always looks for his bigs. That's one thing that... They have pretty good
1: chemistry early on.
2: Yeah, and that's one thing that I think is really going to be really nice. And I think if Karras can develop that, and imagine if we had D'Angelo right now, D'Angelo and, and Jared, there's there's a really nice young core. None of those guys are over like 23, 24 years old. So um, if we can maintain the semblance of, of those sort of guards and... And Jarrett, and, you know, get another draft pick this year. Next year, we've got our own pick back. Nick, I, I, and because the system itself that Ken, Coach Kenny has, has instilled, it allows anyone to thrive. Damari um, Carroll, I, I just marvel at um, the leadership that he has on the floor and the composure that he has on the floor. Um, Coach Kenny, I think, brought him in the final few minutes to, taking out Rondé just because he could see that we needed a three-pointer. We needed a, a big sort of play there. And it didn't happen, but Damari was the one who has that experience down the stretches. You know, he's been in those tough moments, um, been in those um, close stretches. And, and I think he's invaluable to the rest of the locker room as well. I, it was just – it was a good team performance. It deserved to win. But in the end, it just wasn't our day. The ball didn't bounce our way. And um, the other team had some three pretty bloody good players, and they were just too good for us.
1: Yeah. that I mean, like I said to you off air, you know, if the Nets are in a close game, it's going to be tough because they don't have this star player that can finish. And, you know, Portland has CJ and Dame. We don't even have our closer and D'Angelo Russell. You know, Spencer's starting to get into that role, but it's a lot easier when you have two guys that can really score the ball. But a quick mention of Rondé. He had another nice shooting game. After having a rough night against, I think, Golden State shooting-wise, he's really bounced back tonight against Portland, and then um, Wednesday against Cleveland, I believe he shot well, too. So nice to see Rondé's shooting percentage is starting to get back up.
2: Yeah, his strength and body control, Nick, is something that really has stuck out to me. The way he can get into the lane now and contort his body, and I think there was an and one play against Yusuf Nurkic where he just Beautiful. As Iron Eagle said, he climbed Mount Nurkic. I love that man so much. Um <laughs> and then he finished the play and, and the and one as well. Um it, it's just he's he looks confident and he's been probably our best player this season. Um, you know, Spencer did when he has had his moments, obviously, since the D'Angelo Russell injury. But the consistency of Rondé um, is something to be marvelled at. And I just love how he's playing, and he deserves all the kudos um, that he's been getting because um, I wrote an article about him earlier in the year and hoping that his consistency could continue, and he certainly has, and he's been one of our bright spots. And again, another young piece, um, 22 years of age. It's just all good things, Nicholas. We like to keep things positive here on the Brooklyn Buzz. I know a lot of other pods... Get a bit down on uh, on the Nets, but we're high on them, and I think the the future is bright. And I don't think the playoffs are too far away.
1: Yeah, honestly, Rondé is is. Almost, I mean, I would say it's a surprise. You know, I've always been a Rondé fan. I always believed in his defensive ability, but seeing him improve offensively wasn't what I expected, especially after last season where he was really up and down. If he can put this type of work in again, you know, maybe the next few off seasons, he could really have a nice, solid offensive game and. You know, it keeps getting better defensively. It's a great piece for the Nets. You know, looking across the board, they definitely, like you said, have some better young pieces than we thought moving into the season. Yeah. Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Allen, even a guy like Joe Harris isn't very old, Alan Crabb. You know, there's a lot of talent that can be still be developed out of these guys.
2: Definitely. And I think the, the thing is, Nick, as well, if those guys are playing well, If there comes a time where the Nets want to make a trade and those guys have some value, it's only going to benefit benefit us. Guys like Joe Harris, guys like Trevor Booker uh, that might not be part of our next championship, but because Coach Kenny and Sean Marks get them to buy in uh, onto the the Brooklyn Grit system. uh, Just another note I I quickly saw on Twitter about um, Rondé's career so far. Um, He's had, prior to this season, he's only had 10, 15-plus point games in 107 games. In 17 games this year, 11 of them have been with 15 points or more. So I think that's emblematic of the consistency that he's had. And, you know, if he can give us 15 points a, a game for the rest of the season, that's invaluable. And because he, he does it in different ways to, say, an Alan Crabb and a Joe Harris, um, he has a, a different skill set. It just gives us something else on offense. Exactly. And, if, and the one
1: thing, you know, if he can start, eventually get that three-point shot, he's just going to be such a good player to have around. Yeah and his relationship hard. with Kenny too is very nice.
2: Yeah, I I think it was um off one of his um and one plays all they were going into a timeout and and coach Kenny went up to him had a bit of a smile on his face and Ron had a smile on his face as well so um he, he does great things coach Kenny and he, and he brings out and he's certainly bring out the best of of some of our guys like Joe I mentioned last week how the Cavs could use Joe Harris I'm on a I'm on a bandwagon, Nick. I'm going to start the trend of getting Joe Harris in a three-point contest. I'm going to tweet literally after every single Nets game. I'm going to look at his box score. I think a couple of nights ago, it was five of eight from three against the Cavs. It was four of seven tonight. So I'm going to keep on tweeting. I'm going to keep on highlighting how good he is until Joe Harris gets the respect that he deserves and he gets into that three-point contest. I mean, Alan Crabb might be a better, sexier pick, but I'm all in on Joe. Honestly, Joe Harris has been... We mentioned him on the preseason
1: pod before the season started. You know, he had a really nice preseason. I like not only, his you know, his jumper, but the energy, the toughness he plays with. He always seems to foul, but that's okay. At least he's putting in effort. So Joe Harris is another guy that I think the Nets picked up. You know, a lot of people were sleeping on him. They developed him. And he's looking like a nice nice three-point shooter. You kind of hinted at this before. People have mentioned this in, you know, Nets, Nets Twitter world. Would you be interested in trading Joe Harris or is this somebody you think the Nets should hold on to?
2: Look, it, it, with what he's got right now, Nick, it'd be hard to get rid of him because for me, he's our best three-point shooter. Alan Crabb um, has probably you know a, a bit better reach and in, in terms of length and stuff. But tonight, Joe Harris had like the two buckets in a row that were just absolutely money. And every time you see it, it you expect it to go in. Um, he's just lights out from there. It's it's tough. If if we can get a decent pick out of it, absolutely. Um, but if it's just for maybe a high second rounder or you know a couple of other like lo- lesser assets, I-, I don't see why we don't keep Harris. You mentioned his age; he's only twenty six, so like, and he's peaking right now. And for a guy of his age, you look at a guy like Kyle Corver who has a similar skill set in terms of. But I think Harris is as good. Is developing a really nice passing game as well. Kyle Corver is like 35 right now, and he's probably been the Cavs' third, fourth best player on their roster. So I'd rather keep a guy like a Joe Harris and because you know what you're going to get. He's confident in our system, whereas if we bring in someone new and it ruins the chemistry a little bit, um, it, it's it's about weighing it up, the pros and cons, Nick, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the fact is you're not going to get a ton of value for him. And like you said, a guy like Kyle Corbett, 36-year-old, He's still playing well. And I think Joe Harris is a perfect fit for the system. And I don't think he's somebody you're ever going to really have to keep a lot, you know, pay a lot of money. So I would keep him, like you said, unless it's a nice asset. The second rounder I don't think is worth it because you need that shooting for Kenny's system to work efficiently. And right now they could probably get him on a nice contract too. So like like you
2: said, if, it, if it's a good deal, take it. But if not, we need shooting in the system for it to work. Definitely. And just quick mention on his passing. Um, he's dish out four assists in each of his last two games. I think he had five tonight. And he's only done that twice in the first 123 games of his career. So um, I think our he, him and the rest of our offense are really starting to, to sort of click a little bit. We sort of mentioned earlier in the season how we'd have moments where it looked like it was okay, but it was spurts. Tonight, we looked pretty good from the get-go. The, there were just moments where Portland were just too good because they had too much talent on the floor. But our system right now in terms of our team playing getting everyone involved our passing I think that's probably been highlighted by the fact that Spencer did when he's been running the show because um, he just gets everyone in rhythm gets everyone touches um, as does our coach Atkinson's system so I think our offense is looking good um, we still I think having Jared Allen play some extra minutes like we saw tonight is going to help us on the defensive end um, like we mentioned he's raw um, he's still you know very lightly framed but he's got the best length and the best sort of tools out of like Zella, uh, Booker, and Mozgov to sort of at least challenge a shot. And there were times where he would challenge McCollum at the rim tonight, where I think he looked really nice. Um, he altered shots, whereas I don't think Zella has the activity on that end, and he would almost let like guys blow by him, similar to Mozgov. So there are signs, that, and I think you know, early in the season, like we're, we're starting to get things rolling, and we might not be winning a heap of games, but we're certainly playing well. Yeah, and like we said, this is a tough stretch right here that we're
1: in. And we just faced, you know, two of the best teams in the league in Cleveland and Golden State early this week. And to kind of hint at our offense, you mentioned it, you know, it's starting to click. We were in good close games with Cleveland and Golden State. Golden State obviously was the comeback. Cleveland was more of that close game. LeBron took over. So, and then tonight, CJ and Dame and Nurkic taking over. The lack of stars really hurt the Nets, but you can see a lot of positives. What would you say stands out?
2: from the positive side, the most about this three-game losing streak? Probably the one thing for me, Nick, it's a three-point shot. It's really starting to fall. Tonight, we were 40% from there. Um, We didn't really force it either. You know, we weren't jacking up like 35 Houston-like shots. We weren't heaving it. Um, I think the three-point shot is starting to fall, and I think we're taking the right shots, and we're making the right plays. We look good around the rim as well. So I think in terms of our scoring, um, that's where we look really good. Um, We've had, you know, I think in all of those games against Golden State, Cleveland, Cleveland obviously have one of the worst defenses in in the league, but Golden State have a famed defense. Um, We're able to score above 100, and I think they were mentioning on the broadcast, um, I'm pretty sure it's probably Iron Eagle, the fact that they've held the Trailblazers, I think number two in defensive rating, and they've held teams to like under 104, I think about seven or eight games this year, which is saying something. And I think the Nets offense right now is just, uh, it's hitting all gears and and it's really, really beautiful to watch. We're a really fun team to watch. And if, for those that are non-Nets fans, definitely check us out on League Pass because we're one of those teams that are just really fun, play really good basketball.
1: Yeah. And like you said, the three-point shooting, not only is fun, but it allows you to stay in games against better teams. And I've said that before on the pod. Having a guy like an Alan Crabb or a Joe Harris like you talked about, these are guys that can shoot and make four or five threes in one night, and that's going to make a big difference in, you know, every night basis, and you're going to steal a few games here and there.
2: Yeah, and I mean, you know, 125 to 127, it, there were times where it, just, it was it was back and forth, back and forth. That third quarter, there was 80 points, uh, 41 to the Blazers, 39 to us. In that last quarter, almost 70 points, 68. So um, it's always a... a, a, a it's all out offense a lot of the time with the nets. And, you know, I think we, I'm pretty sure we serve the number one pace in the NBA, um, even with D low outs. so, you know, that's always going to be back and forth. It'll be interesting when we do come up against the Rockets, how, how, whether it's going to be like a sort of emblem, uh, symptomatic of what happened in that Pacers game, whether it's going to be like 140 to 150, I'm sure we'll put up more of a fight than the Suns, Um, despite the fact that our defense isn't our number one asset. Um, but it's going to be fun to watch these Nets grow because it's still early in the season, 18 games in. We've we've had a couple of really nice wins, a couple of tough losses. But there haven't really been, apart from, for me, that Knicks game was probably our worst performance of the year. And other than that, um, there haven't been really many horrible things, many, many bad stretches of play.
1: Yeah, I mean, even the Warriors game, where that looked like it was going to be a terrible game, they came back and almost won that game. Yeah. So, I mean... You- a lot of credit to the Nets. And if you told me going into the season, you know, they're going to lose Jeremy Lin and D'Angelo Russell in the first month of the season or first two months of the season, I would have been
2: like, are you serious? Like,
1: we're, we're going to yeah. we're, we're win two games. Like, Exactly.
2: What? We won 20 games last year with without Jeremy Lin for a lot of the season. We still had Brook Lopez. Right now we have you know, who would have thought that Spencer Dinwiddie would become the star of the show? And I was mentioning on our last JBT pod to Nick, and he eventually turned it into a Wizards conversation. But before that, you know, you take John Wall um, out of the equation. You take, um, you know, their two point guards. You take any two point guards off any of the best teams and you put the third stringer in. Like, what's going to happen? Us against the Jazz the other night when it was, um, you know, I can't remember what his name was, Neto. When he's sort of running, when he's running the show without you know, Dante X and, and Ricky Rubio out there, they looked very poor. Um, Donovan Mitchell was sort of running things out there. But for us, we seem to have some nice depth. And, and you know, I th- Kilpatrick probably had his best game of the season. I really like, I like his mentality. Um, I, I like the fact that whether it's the culture that's been created by the Nets, um, the fact that, you know, even if you get a DNP or whatever it is, you, you don't sulk. When you get, you're out there, you give good energy, you give good hustle. And he just made some nice plays tonight. He made some good passes. He knew when to to drive. And he had some really good plays. And I was a huge fan of Kilpatrick last year. And I understand how his role has lessened with the addition of some of our our new acquisitions through trade and such. But I think, you know, if he can, um, with the injuries, he's going to have a role to play. And I I think I mentioned to you, I'd much rather see him out there um, in the flow of the offense than Isaiah Whitehead because it takes away somewhat from guys like Spencer Dimwini and Karis Levert I think Kilpatrick can be a bit of a better off-ball player he's a better shooter um, and he can sort of fit better in that system yeah definitely
1: like you said we saw some nice things from Kilpatrick today against Portland and the team could use him you know we said this before on the pod the team could really use Kilpatrick with the injuries he's another ball handler another scorer somebody who can really relieve them and it's always nice when you're running a show to have somebody else you can throw the ball to to make a play, and Kilpatrick can do that. And one thing that he did tonight is drive to the rim and kind of get some of those and-one plays, and that's what you really want to see from Kilpatrick. That's when he's at his best. He has probably some underrated upper body strength where he's able to eat a little bit of contact
2: and then finish around the rim. Yeah, and mentioning on the, the assist numbers, he had a couple of assists tonight, and all uh, everyone who played minutes tonight got an assist. You know, Jared Allen got one, Allen Crabb got one. Um, it's just nice to see. I think that's another asset, uh, another key thing that we've been doing really well. We've been really sharing the ball nicely and getting the right plays, and that in turn helps the offense, helps the three-point shooting, helps get those easy buckets because when you're moving the ball, you're creating space. It's a lot harder to defend a moving ball than a stagnant ball. So um, that's certainly been a big part of our, our success lately as well. I
1: agree. I think like you you mentioned, you've hinted at it a ton on the pod, is Spencer kind of getting things moving in a smooth motion where things just seem a lot more settled. It's happened at times where it hasn't. We know, when he first started playing a lot, it wasn't like that. But now he's really starting to get into his own. You know, in the pick and roll, he's starting to look very confident. His three-point shot is looking very confident. He's willing to shoot off-balance all over the place. But moving on from the Portland game, quick reminder, you can always listen to the Brooklyn Buzz podcast on iTunes, Block Talk Radio, YouTube, and ottbasketball.com. But talking about the two losses, the other two losses we had against Cleveland and Golden State, what sticks out most to you about those games other than Golden State being ridiculously good and
2: LeBron James being amazing? I think those are the two things I was going to say, Nick. I'm not really sure. Um, because as we as we hinted at throughout the pod, that we're playing decent basketball. There's nothing wrong with what we're doing. Um, you know, there's just the talent you mentioned off air, that the fact that it's hard to defend such guys and we'd rather have, you know, Kyle Corver or Dwayne Wade or Andrea Godawa or Sean Livingston beat us. But at times, those stars they just step up. Stephen Curry is uh, an otherworldly player. LeBron James had like 23 points in that last quarter. Um, sometimes you just, you know, no team can defend that, let alone um, the Nets, who are, I think are around uh, surprisingly. We weren't. I think we we're only about 24th or 25th. So for me, that was a, a nice little surprise. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just we go on runs, and I think with maturity, um, you'd, you'd be encouraged by this. And I think one thing is, me and you, we aren't as down on the fact when we have those losses because we know it's a hashtag process. But a lot of other net <laughs> fans can get really, um, really down about it, and, and I don't understand it because we're not expected to get a, a heap of wins. It's it's not about you know getting getting the W. For me, it's about like you know how we play, how we see development in the players, how we see development in the system. Um, a, a win is nice, yes. No, that's it'd be. You'd rather get like a grind out a, a win than have like a, an honourable loss. But at the same time, at the end of the season, we're not looking at our win loss record. We're going to be looking at okay, how has Crab developed? How has Dinwiddie developed? How has DeAngelo developed? How has Carris developed? How has One Day developed? And right now, those signs look good. And for me, um, they're always showing. There's always something to take away from these games against Cleveland. Against Golden State, whether it's Joe Harris um, having a, a revenge game against his former team, um, or whether it's Ronde, you know, scoring 20 points and a half against the Cavs, or whether it's, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's um, matching up head to head with the, and one of the best point guards of all time, best shooting point guard of all time, that's for sure, uh, and Stephen Curry. There's just, there's always something to take from a game that's a positive, Nick, but there's, you know, there's always areas where we can improve, whether it's rebounding or whether it's defense, but. At the end of the day, um, the teams are just better than us. They just have much more quality. And, you know, we're not in that bottom bracket of, like, Hawks, Bulls. I think we're in that sort of, like, second tier where the sort of, you know, the Lakers um, and other and sort of teams are, are in that sort of area. But um, right now, we have no reason to take because we don't have that pick this year. But um, next year, I'm going to be looking more at development than wins, losses. That's for sure. Right now, we'd rather <laughs> get some wins. But, yeah, that's it is what it is.
1: Yeah, exactly like you said. I mean, for the pessimistic Nets fans, like the fact that D'Angelo and Lynn are both out right now, I think you can't really expect much win-wise. So like you said, the process of developing players, you want to see Liver, you want to see Allen. Look at Dinwiddie. Look at what he's already, how much better he's already gotten in the season so far. And somebody even like Allen, you can see the progress and, you know, the future of him. So, you know, obviously it sucks to lose games, but six wins isn't terrible. It could be a lot worse.
2: Yeah, it could be much worse, and you know, Alan. We have I a think-
1: couple winnable games coming up too. So I mean, like I we mentioned on the last pod, this is a pretty tough stretch. You know, playing Golden State, Cleveland, Portland, Memphis, Houston is not really a fun stretch. Luckily, Memphis is banged up, so maybe the Nets can catch a break there.
2: Yeah, and and I think the thing you mentioned there, Nick, when you go on those you know those tough runs against some of the upper echelon teams, if you can still play good basketball, you can take confidence out of that. Leading into the more winnable games, and that leads you into, uh, if you have that form, you bring it into a game that's much more winnable, and hopefully that's sustained and can help you get the the, the wins when they're expected. Like teams like Memphis, um, I would I would back us in if um, you know all things considered and all things go our way. Marcus Ole um, is certainly going to be a, a handful, but if I have Jared Allen out there, I'd rather have him out there than than Zeller against him, but. There's, and speaking of Alan, his plus-minus lately has been um, by far the best on the team. He's just very, very good when it comes to like active defensive hands and just altering shots. And his length is just otherworldly. And he has one of the best afros in the NBA since, I don't know, the 1970s maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I think... Allen's quickness is super apparent on the floor. His length, just yeah. when he's out there, you can already tell the difference between the other guys. And I don't think it's necessarily because he's amazing and he's, you know, the best player ever. But I think it's just because Moskov is so slow. Zeller is so slow. You know, they're they're big guys, but
2: they just don't move well. No, you you see a springy, springiness to Allen. Yeah, they don't fit today's modern NBA, Nick. There's, um, not every team can just lug a Zaza Pachulia around. When we don't have that luxury. We'd rather have developed the, the talent that, um, is burgeoning within Jared Allen. And I think he, and, um, the thing that he did for Thanksgiving as well, was just, it, it warms your heart there, it, it, you know, showing the kids how to budget and then shopping with them. He's just, I love this Nets team. I love Jared Allen. I wish he was my son. <laughs> um, it, it's just so many great things to like about this Nets team, despite the fact that we're not getting the W's, um, we, re- we remain positive.
1: Yeah I mean and it's amazing to see from Jared Allen at such a young age you know to do things like that it's just great to see it's it's nice when your team wins and like good things happen on the court but it's also good when you follow the team and you see the players you know
2: do good things to the community. Absolutely and the NBA is all for that and the fact that it's happening for a guy and even early in the season I think Jared Allen was giving out like free haircuts and stuff um we've got ourselves a keeper there Nick and I think His game is, it's leaps and bounds. He's got the phenomenal wingspan. Um, He's going to be special.
1: Yeah, he just needs that size. But let's move on to some Thanksgiving segments. You know, obviously yesterday was Thanksgiving. Like we said, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who's listening. But Jack, I need to know, what
2: is your favorite Thanksgiving food? I'm all about the, oh. This is tough. I was going to say I'm all about the turkey, but then I think, do condiments count, Nick? Uh, Let's talk, we're talking gravy we're talking gravy here, my friend. I'm all I'm all about gravy on whether it's Thanksgiving or not. It enhances every single thing. You, It, it just makes everything better. Like you put it on mashed potatoes, you put it on turkey. If tur- the turkey's dry, put a little gravy on it. If the mashed potatoes are a little lumpy, put some gravy on it. It just <laughs> makes it better. I could drink gravy. My arteries would probably be filled with it. I'd get probably you know high cholesterol through the roof but i'm a pretty i'm a pretty lean guy right now i can can i can indulge a couple of times a year and gravy is one of my vices i think i tomorrow uh, my girlfriend and a couple of her friends are coming over because during the week they got a bit busy so we're having our belated thanksgiving dinner and she is a marvelous cook and she doesn't mean gravy so i'm excited about it nick there you go jack have you ever had disco fries Disco fries. Explain to me, my friend. It's uh, It sounds like a relatively new concept to a to a foreigner. What what is okay. involved with disco it's, fries? It's
1: a popular diner food. French fries, cheese on top, and then gravy on top. Oh, so
2: it's like um poutine. Don't know what that is, but sure. Okay. <laughs> so you're obviously an American. You're not a Canadian. Have you been to Canada, Nick? I have been to Canada on multiple occasions, but not recently. That was younger. Maybe maybe you were too young to have to indulge in poutine. It's uh. Poutine is literally my favorite thing ever. So, disco fries, poutine, call it what you want. If it's got gravy, if it's got fries, <laughs> if it's got cheese, it's gonna taste good no matter what. Probably. For me though, um hmm. this is the tough one. You got a turkey. You're... Uh, I got.
1: I, I kind of. I like. I really was. My mom made some really good stuffing yesterday, so that might have oh. like biased me a little bit. I'm not usually a huge stuffing guy, but that was really good. I think I might go with the sweet potatoes and marshmallows. You ever have that?
2: I have, I have. I'm, I'm intrigued by how Americans make their food, and you know, it's a part of the reason why I'm so enamored with the culture. It's part of the reason why I have so many American comrades, and why I got on board with OTG because I'm just all about the, I'm all about the culture. But marshmallows for me, are, I, I'm. I'm something about it that almost takes it a bit too far it's not my (laughs) taste and and i'm all about the sweets nick you know you give me some some nice pumpkin pie pecan pie with a nice dollop of whipped cream then i'm all about it but martin there's something about the texture of marshmallows and you know if they're i don't know if marshmallows can be watered down or you get like low sugar low cal marshmallows that (laughs) might fit a bit better because you know A pump the 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 sweet mashed potatoes they're they're healthy as shit they're one of the healthiest vegetables out there, but you add in the marshmallows it's just it's counterbalancing everything you all the nutrients (laughs) that you're wanting to get. But um, it's it's a a holiday you got to get fat. Oh, you got to get fat. If in fact I'm I'm gonna be surprised if um you know there's a few NBA players going into the next few games aren't holding a few kilos and they don't, you know, disregard their vegan diets for a little bit just to have <laughs> some turkey with the family. But I wonder what Kyrie Irving's going to be having for Thanksgiving with his vegan diet and his, I don't know what he would be. He'd be having like Brussels. Sweet um, potatoes. Brussels. Yeah. He'll literally, he won't have the marshmallows though. I don't think Nick, I think are. They're, um, yeah, not. They're, not, they're not woke enough for him. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jack,
1: what, all right, who in the Nets organization are you most thankful for? This could be anybody from GM to 15th player on the bench.
2: Look, there's so much to be thankful for with the Nets. Nicholas. Only one guy, though. Only one guy. I'm going with the man himself, Sean Marks. The man who has transformed us from a basket case to a, from a laughing stock into probably a, a somewhat relevant team in today's NBA and, and in the space of a year or two. Um, he is from my neck of the woods down in New Zealand, just uh, just across the river. I don't think it's a river, but across the water, whatever you want to call <laughs> it. Across the ocean, across whatever the southern ocean is down there in um, down in New Zealand and, and Melbourne. But he has transformed the, the Nets roster. He has transformed the Nets culture. Um, he's the reason why I'm optimistic about the Nets future. He's making moves like the D'Angelo Russell one. Him and Coach Kenny are developing a relationship that is becoming famed and and around the NBA. We look at guys like Steve Kerr and Bob Myers and how their relationship, and it's almost like they're they're feeding off each other in such great ways. Now, I'm not comparing us to the Golden State Warriors by any stretch, but if you have two key leaders um, feeding the players quality information, quality knowledge, uh, an awesome system, they're making them confident. They're making them feel welcome and comfortable. Um, it's the Brooklyn vibe uh, has changed dramatically. Um, it's 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 completely 180. Um, we've gone from being this top up team that's had Deron Williams, Joe Johnson, Kevin Garnett, and it's just like we're too top heavy. We're we're this cocky, arrogant team where we don't have a reason to be. To now being this underdog team that just appeals to me as an Aussie. We love the underdog, and now my Nets are a, are an underdog. But I'm hoping we get back to the days um, in in the in a couple of years where we can be a feared team. And I don't think it's going to take too much longer, especially we've got Sean Marks at the helm. Yeah.
1: I mean, what the Nets will need, hopefully, is unless they do end up tanking at some point, you know, maybe get lucky in free agency. But like you said, I think there's only one guy it could be, and that's Sean Marks. The minute he took over for the Nets, you know, like, honestly, you don't understand how nervous I was When Mikhail Prokhorov came out and was like, "Oh, I don't know who Sean Marks is," like and saying that before they hired him, and I was like, "Oh my god, he just pissed off this fucking dude who's gonna come here and save the Nets." Like, are you serious, dude? Like, come on, bro. Like, I know you're a billionaire, but come on, don't do that. And then luckily, Sean Marks still comes and everything works out. And from the minute he came, he like you said, he just transformed the culture. And people always say culture is overrated. But I think when your culture is so bad, like the Nets was, the Nets were, you know, their culture was just terrible from Darren Williams being a little diva to just Billy King, you know, throwing around picks and ownership calling for big trades. I think whenever ownership calls for something in trade world, I think that always kind of screws things up. So I think, you know, him coming here, taking control, changing everything, making it about basketball and doing things the right way on and off the court really changed the Nets and how they're perceived in the NBA. Like you said, they went from the laughing stock of the league. Like it was hard to be a Nets fan, especially, you know, running OTG. And, you know, one of my new writers is like, oh, what squad do you like? Oh, I like the Nets. Like, <laughs> like you know, they That's don't even – That's how
2: either... we bonded, Nicholas. That's how yeah. we <laughs> they This were... wouldn't be a thing if it wasn't for our, our Nets love.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it does breed in good things like Jack. But they were just like, you know, this dude likes the Nets. Like, can I really trust him? And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but now with Sean Marks – they do things right. Things are respectable. Like you said, I mean, to be honest, he probably sped up the Nets process times too. Yeah. Like, Karis LeVert was a spot-on pick. Jared Allen looks like a great pick. Getting D'Angelo Russell, who essentially is, you know, a top he, yeah, a of, top, top five, you know, even if you want to say he hasn't been that great, which I would disagree with, he'd be a top 10 pick in, you know, any of the last three drafts. Yeah. So getting him, you know, and possibly, you know, this year they already have a pick. They don't have a lottery pick. And then moving forward, things aren't looking too bad. And like you kind of hinted at before, they're developing a lot of these young guys. You can only play five guys at a time. So at some point, they're going to be able to move some of these guys because they're actually going to have depth across the board and pick up another player or pick up another asset where they can make a big move. Like when was the last time we heard the Nets involved in a trade? Like at some point in the next few years, the Nets actually might be able to communicate with someone about a trade Actually, having picks
2: and players, yeah. young players, yeah. It's when it's going to be scary to see because if this is what Sean Marks can do with the bare minimum, imagine what can, what he can do when we finally have assets, when we finally have quality, and he's the reason why the players are becoming assets. He's the reason why players are going to want to come to Brooklyn. All um, was excited about his role coming to the season. Why Delo was all in on the on Brooklyn? We go hard. Um, It wouldn't be a thing if we didn't have Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson. That relationship um, is just something to behold. And I will be thankful for it for many years to come. And I think I like it even more than I like gravy, Nick. Yeah. Oh, that's big. That's big. And
1: I, you know, Kenny would obviously get some, um, some love here, but Kenny wouldn't be here without Sean Marks because I don't uh, think they would have went with that choice. I know Marks and Kenny didn't have an amazing relationship before they came to this job, but they did know each other and have somewhat of a relationship. So I think the fact that that kind of happened, I think Kenny obviously being here is allowing us to develop players at a great rate. Somebody like Spencer Dinwiddie, somebody like Joe Harris who possibly could have bounced around the league, bounced around the G league for five years and never really had a nice job in the NBA just because it's all about fits and coaching staff. So I think I, I can't complain about where the nets are at right now compared to their situation when, you know, at the moment where they cut Darren Williams and the team was, you know, in a terrible place where they didn't have a good player other than Joe Johnson and Brooke, and they had no picks and no assets.
2: Yeah. The highlight there was when Jay-Z would ever appear at a, a game, but <laughs> pretty, mu- pretty much. M- mentioning ownership, Nick, we haven't really chatted about the the whole Joseph Tsai uh, acquisition of the team. Oh yeah, um, we
1: have not. That is pretty big. It's
2: it's it's massive news. And um, for for those that don't know, um, Joseph Tsai is, uh, I think he's a Taiwanese um, billionaire, and he owns basically uh, an Asian sort of version of Amazon. Like it's their sort of huge conglomerate, and he's one of the the richest people uh, in Asia. And uh, I think it's. I think Mikhail Prokhorov is having his cake and eating it too, because he's not selling the entire team. He's selling a stake of it. So he can still have like some of an input, but I think it, it's going to have an effect on our presence in Asia. And I think it's going to have a, an, an effect on Jeremy Lin as well, in terms of his contract as well. So I think um, there'll certainly be, um, keep an eye out on that one and how things play out in terms of whether Jeremy Lin is traded or whether he's, um, you know, moved. But I, I think he's likely to resign and opt into next year because, um the presence um the presence that jeremy lynn has internationally he's one of the like he's not on the kobe level but he's probably one of the most famous international players despite the fact that he's not like you know yannis um but he just has that presence and you know if the nets are looking to expand into international markets having a guy like jeremy lynn um just really reaches that fan base and you even look going to like um you see the fan base at barclays center great for um for expanding to, to wider reaches because Um, the NBA is becoming a global product and I think um, this may help us um, but at the same time um, I'm hoping I don't think he's said anything right now about um, you know Sean Marks and Coach Kenny but if ownership can ownership is best when it stays plays a back role like they're not there they're not in the middle of moves like Procrev was for us like a few years ago when he's like we need to win a, a championship within the next four years and it's just like dude like there's the Miami Heat right now LeBron James has been to like a billion finals like Unless you're getting LeBron James, don't say that. Exactly. Like, it's right before the season, it was like, oh, LeBron will slow down. It was like, no, right now he's 33. He's playing the most minutes in the league, yet he's still, like, an absolute monster and is still probably top two, top three in the MVP conversation. So for the Nets to build slowly, um, I'm pretty sure Joseph Sy will be all about that and making huge changes. But hopefully, um, you know, the influence isn't felt by the by the playing roster and doesn't have a negative effect but i can't see it happening what do you think
1: yeah i don't think it will Prokhorov, like you said still has majority so si will come in and i think he'll have a great input because obviously like you said he's a billionaire he's just, obviously he seems like a very intelligent guy who will help the nets i think analytically in some different ways that you might not expect because i think he'll have some good input and you mentioned the jeremy lynn thing that's definitely an interesting thing i mean Regardless, I think as soon as he, you know, injured his patella tendon, I think he was going to opt in, more likely he opts in now. The only other possibility I could see if the team wanted to invest in him long term and they offered him a longer deal but for less money yearly would be something, maybe a possibility if they're really looking to go all in for, you know, the Asian market, like you mentioned, one of the biggest markets out there, which could really help the Nets who do struggle, you know, with with attendance and merchandise, they need to pick that up. And that's another area. I think Nets Daily talked about it, side coming in and he could really kind of have an input in helping the Nets be better in different ways that you wouldn't necessarily expect out
2: of an owner. Yeah, marketing-wise and in terms of, you know, we I'm not a, I'm not um, hugely knowledgeable about Mikhail Prokhorov's past, but the fact that Joseph Tsai is uh, a, a famed businessman in, in, in Taiwan and Canada and currently residing in Hong Kong, his net worth is almost $10 billion dollars. Um, I, I like that um, that thought you had about the fact that he could, you know, give us some some different some different takes, some um, rejuvenate the sort of fan base in a way that that could be really positive because, um, you know, you want to bring in all all kinds of all kinds of fans, whether it's guys like me and you who are in our mid twenties, or if it's you know the families, or whether it's um, you know the old school New Jersey fans. Um, you want to build something that that allows mm-hmm. everyone to sort of embrace. Um, the Brooklyn Nets. And I think um, having a guy like Joseph Sion board, I think, you know, a, an intelligent guy, um, he's a of a, a Yale University alma mater. So um, a, a, he's a smart dude, as you mentioned, Nick. So I, I'm hoping um, he has a positive influence, but we'll certainly, you'll, you'll hear all of that here on Brooklyn Buzz because we'll be watching that space very keenly. Exactly.
1: And, I, and one thing for the Nets too, in terms of merchandise and, you know, getting bigger fan base, obviously it has to happen on the court too. You know, they have to have success. They need to get, you know, the, yeah. D'Angelo needs to become, excuse me, D'Angelo needs to become that star player, and they need to win. But the one thing I think fans can appreciate, I know myself being a Nets fan for quite some time, this team plays extremely hard. You know, I, I can enjoy watching that. They put a lot of effort out there. You know, there were some stretches where they weren't amazing. But you can see, you know, that that when they were down 28 to Golden State, it would have been real easy to just lose by 20 that game. But to get it down to five, I think says something about the Nets.
2: Yeah, and it's almost like I see an element of the, the Memphis Grizzlies in the Nets right now. Like New York, the Knicks are always going to be the franchise in New York, um, especially now with a guy like Chris Stapps who is, you know, otherworldly in his talents. But um, we can be that team, I think, that's has sustained success over time because – Our ownership, our front office is stable. Um, The stability um, is going to hopefully pertain over a number of years, um, hopefully even you know decades. You look at guys like Daryl Morey, Danny Ainge, these sort of guys. They're comfortable in their positions, and they they can make those moves because ownership backs them, and they let them do their job. Um, That couldn't be said of Billy King a few years ago, as he was always pressure. He always felt the pressure. From Mikhail I think it's a bad rap sometimes, but obviously you, you're the one that's in charge of making those moves. Um, so at the end of the day, you have to, to bear the brunt of the criticism, but I think the stability that the Nets have had, as you mentioned, Nick, and has reflected on the court in terms of how we're playing that if, you know, Sean Marks, coach Atkinson can maintain, you know, the semblance of running the basketball side of things exactly so
1: but that wraps it up for today you can always catch the brooklyn buzz podcast on otgbasketball.com itunes blog talk radio and youtube jack jack thank you for hopping on as always and everybody thank you for listening
0: nobody builds 5g like verizon builds 5g because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in america and the more you do with 5g the more building it right matters the more your network matters